The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Would you pray with me, please? Our great and glorious God, we worship you this Christmas season. All the more mindful of your great love in giving us your son, Jesus. You are worthy of our singing and our praise and our thankfulness in each season of the year and in every season of life through times of vitality and blessing and in times of suffering as well when circumstances are not what we would ever choose. Lord, our answer, our response to the varying circumstances of life is always found in you because you promise to hold us and strengthen us and will never abandon us. You are the source of life and goodness. And so in you, we live and move and have our being. When we love, it's because you first loved us. When we forgive others, it's because you've so graciously forgiven us. So this morning, we, we ask for your joy. Joy because you are joyful in yourself and in your presence there is fullness of joy. Lord, make us joyful for the sake of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our Advent theme this Sunday is joy. For many, Christmas is a, it's a joyful time of year. And for others, not so much. It's a sad reminder of, of what used to be. And I say this not to squelch your joy, but to enhance it. To enhance it by making you mindful of others more aware of the fullness of joy in God, a joy that's not a thing of the past, but something connected to God's presence. And Christmas is a time when we're especially mindful of God's presence in the incarnation of his son. One lesson that we should learn from this is that the traditions of Christmas Uh, Wonderful as they may be, the decorations, the music, the gifts, the food, and family, and friends, they're not enough. They're not enough to give you the joy that you crave, the joy that lasts. Yes, these are happy blessings meant to be enjoyed, but sometimes we make the mistake of looking to the various blessings themselves instead of looking to the one who blesses us. And when we do this, what we find is a, is a hollow sense of sorrow and a longing for this joy that lasts. And children get this, right? Children understand that the joy of a particular present or toy won't last forever, that Woody's going to get boring and boxed up and sent off to goodwill. You know, when she was little, my daughter Brenna had a very precious blankie named (laughs) Blankie. Sorry. 
I'll never forget, with tears, when she was little, she wanted me to convince her that her joy for her blankie would go on forever because she knew, she knew that as an adult, she would not feel the same way. So even a small child knows that the things that we have cannot bring us everlasting joy. Isn't this what gets to us when we watch a movie like Toy Story? We get this, this sad, nostalgic sense of loss. Knowing that those childhood toys just aren't enough. And that that feeling that you feel, that longing, it's a desire that can only be met in God. The joy of Christmas is God with us. That in his presence there is fullness of joy. And because God does not fade, he does not diminish, because he is eternal, because we have access to him through Jesus, we have an assurance. You have an assurance of lasting joy. Yes, it's mixed with sorrow. Life is difficult and hard, but that longing, it's filled. And one day it will be full because God became flesh and dwelt among us. One problem, one reason that our joy so quickly turns to sorrow because of our tendency to pursue, to expect these mere blessings of life to be it, to be enough. The problem isn't with the blessings. It's with our sinful expectations of those blessings. People long for wonderful, good things. People long to be married. And marriage is a huge blessing with lots of joy. But it doesn't take long to realize that it's also hard and it's painful at times because the two who become one are both sinners. People long for children. And again, massive blessing and joy. But it's mixed with anguish and heartache. Sports fans react to a, a state of, with a state of euphoric joy when their team wins the championship, so I hear. Uh, but the joy fades. <laughs> Next year, it's not enough. The experience is not, not enough. They grow accustomed. What I've grown accustomed to is just the opposite. It's frustration and disappointment. The blessings of life are meant to point us to the giver of all good things. So having a right expectation of gifts and a right view of God leads us to joy. The 16th Psalm ends with, with an incredible statement. It was our call to worship this morning. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Life is a journey with and to God. And he promises fullness of joy. He promised 
promises you pleasures forevermore. It's a terrific psalm. So let's read it in its entirety. Uh, Turn to Psalm 16 or follow along on the screen as I read. Psalm 16, a psalm of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is God's word. Joy. Joy is, joy is an emotion of salvation. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you're a Christian, the Spirit gives you this delight in Christ. His beauty and greatness thrills our souls. And yet... As Christians, we also know struggle and depression and lack of joy. We might say, well, you know, some people are just, they just have this natural tendency, this chemical makeup that, that makes their default position one of depression. Some people are just, what do they used to call it, melancholy. But there's another reason, too. Moms, if you're rocking those babies, and as I was corrected last week, not simply sitting by their bedsides, but standing or hovering or pacing, which I appreciate that correction because it's much more exhausting, isn't it, than sitting in a lazy boy. And notice they don't call them lazy moms. They're lazy boys. Anyway, you, you may be struggling moms to experience joy because you're exhausted. Or if you're grieving or suffering, it may be more difficult for you to see the, the specific joys that God has for you in your present situation. 
And don't forget that the enemy hates us. The enemy wants to steal every ounce of joy that he can from you. So it could be our disposition. It could be exhaustion. It could be a very hard circumstance of life. It could be spiritual warfare. Or, as one author said, the most miserable Christians I've seen are those who live with a foot in both worlds. They hedge their bets. They have one eye on heaven and one on earth. They call on the name of Christ, but they still try to find security, satisfaction, pleasure, or fulfillment from this world. They're riding the fence, and they're not happy. If we look to anyone or anything other than Christ for blessing, it's going to lead ultimately to misery. Again, Marriage is wonderful. It's a joyous blessing. But if you expect your spouse to give you fullness of joy, you're in for some trouble because no person is capable of this. Only God is. If children or a certain amount of money or that accomplishment um, is in your mind the fullness of joy, Then let me remind you of verse 4 in Psalm 16. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Only God leads to fullness of joy. And his gifts are meant to point us to him and not replace him. Not be little gods. Think of the goodness of creation. When God created this beautiful world, he pronounced it good. The heavens are designed to declare his glory. The beauty of creation points us to the creator and we experience joy when we behold it. Right? Joy. It's hard to describe when you're just looking at something of God's creation that's so beautiful. Life, life is beautiful. Life and its blessings, they are good gifts of God that are meant, they're meant by him to bring us joy. So the problem isn't with God's good gifts. It's what we do with them. What did Adam and Eve do? They wanted a part of creation more than the creator. They ate what God told them not to eat with a world of blessing all around them. And so their decision reveals that they believed God wasn't the fullness of joy, that he was keeping more joy from them. And this led, this, the same is true of us. It leads us to doing the same kind of thing which is described in Romans 1, not honoring God, not thanking Him, exchanging or preferring the gift over the giver. The problem isn't with creation. It's what we do with creation. It's our wrong expectations, our wrong pursuits, thinking that God is keeping something from us or that we don't really need Him as long as we have that person or that pleasure, or that adrenaline rush, or experience. And what this is, is idolatry. 
It's running after another God that will only multiply our sorrows. But there is a a right kind of joy. There's a right kind of joy in the people in your lives. In the the various pleasures of life. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to take joy in those things. There's a right way of seeing it. And it's told to us in James. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Or I think of 1 Corinthians 10. You know, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of... There's a way of living life to the glory of God, fulfilling the purpose for which he made you that brings joy. God is the ultimate giver of every good thing that you have. So much so that our response should be like David and the beginning of Psalm 16. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Recognizing that it comes to me from God. He is my good. And Psalm 73, who have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth, nothing on earth that I desire beside you. And again, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my portion in the land of the living. Our delight in his gifts is meant to highlight the fact that he is, he is the fullness of joy. Every ounce of good in this world that comes to us comes from God. Nothing can possibly be good unless it comes from God. As Christians, if we are to be joyful, we must believe this truth. Calvin put it this way. It will not suffice simply to hold that there is one whom all ought to honor and adore unless we are also persuaded that he is the fountain of every good and that we must seek nothing elsewhere than in him. For until men recognize that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by his fatherly care, that that he is the author of their every good, that they should seek nothing beyond him. They will never yield him willing service. Nay, unless they establish their complete happiness in him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to him. The good gifts of Christmas are meant to bring us into his presence where there is fullness of joy. And and this year... This year really is a test, isn't it? This year's a test because each Christmas, what do we often say? We say, Jesus is the reason for the season. And Christmas is about Christ and not all the trappings of the holiday. And yet, what's our knee-jerk reaction to Christmas landing on Sunday? Oh, but the children and their presents, the family traditions, we don't want them to be sad. What do you believe about joy? And I get it. I have the same kind of reaction. I love, I love the normal Christmas morning. I don't like change. But what do we really believe will bring us joy? 
Shouldn't we respond with, yes, what a perfect thing to happen that Christmas land on Sunday and we get to gather and worship when being in the presence of God as his church, being, being invited by God to come into his presence on a Sunday morning and worship him and experience this unique time with God in this gathering of his people for, for us to sing and pray and be devoted to his word, for this to land on Christmas morning. Perfect. What is our joy? The good gifts of family, food, traditions, and presents, or God who blesses us with these things? And maybe some of our struggle is that, that we don't rightly know God. I think that's a lot of our struggle. We, we have a concept of God. We know some true things about God. But the more you know him, the more you learn of him, the more you commune with him, the more joy there will be. It's one thing, you know, if you, if you receive a wonderful gift from a kind stranger, somebody that people tell you is a terrific guy who just wants to bless you, it's one thing to have that concept. Um, it's one thing to get a gift from that kind of person. And it's another entirely to get a gift from a dear family member that you know loves you deeply. It makes a difference when you know the giver and how he feels about you. Just like last Sunday, thinking about the kind of love that the father has and, and how it's wrapped up into his character, how it's wrapped up into his attributes. Joy works the same way because one of God's attributes is he is blessed. God is the most blessed of all. God is the happiest of all. His perfection and goodness is his joy. We love being around happy people, and God is the happiest of all. He is the source of all blessings because he is forever blessed, forever happy, forever joyful. Everything that he wants to do, he does. He has the power and the wisdom and knowledge. All these attributes come together. He's perfect. So, of course, he's happy. One author wrote that in him exists a perfect union of all good things. He has an eternally infinite fullness, delight, and joy in himself as completely self-sufficient. He needs nothing. As a perfect being who is fully actualized in his being and whose attributes all gloriously harmonize with one another, he enjoys a most happy life where there resides infinite holiness, wisdom, goodness, power, knowledge, and so forth. There must be infinite blessedness. Similarly, Edward Lee says... God's happiness is that attribute whereby God has all fullness of delight and contentment in himself and needs nothing out of himself to make him happy. Our feelings of sadness, 
our lack of joy is because we are, we are not full. We have that sense of want or needing something. And so, shouldn't we combat this feeling by reminding, ourse- reminding ourselves to hope in God? It's what the psalmist does. In Psalm 42, asking himself, why are you cast down, soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Is he the source of all goodness and blessing? Is he perfect in his love for me? Does he know how best to love me? What to give me? What not to give me? How to work every circumstance in my life for my good, my ultimate eternal blessing and happiness. Does he, is this who God is? Yes. Who do I know him to be? In light of this, the psalmist asks himself, why? Why? I know, I know God. I know God. I know his promises to me. I know he cannot fail. So why, soul? Why do you feel this way? This is how we fight for joy. Not by hoping in things, in good gifts, but by hoping in the giver of all good gifts, who is joyful in himself, the source of joy, and wants to bless us with fullness of joy. Just as God is love, we can say God is blessedness. He is joy. And this blessedness of God, it is the fountain from which we drink. An overflowing, continually overflowing fountain. He abounds in all good things. He created all good things. Our problem always comes back to what? Sin. But God wants your eternal joy so much that he gave the greatest gift of all in his only beloved son. He did this to deal with our sin and the misery that sin brings. He did this to restore you to a, a state of blessedness, happiness, contentment, fulfillment, joy. But in saying this, I don't want you to misunderstand and feel guilty for the times of sorrow and grieving. After all, isn't Jesus described as the man of sorrows? He knows how we feel. He wept for his friend Lazarus. He was miserable, certainly, when he was being beaten and crucified. But there's something wonderful about a Christian's joy. Our our joy, it stays in the midst of sorrow. And what this looks like is hope. Even when we're grieving, in the midst of our grieving, we have this hope of joy because the God of joy is with us. The God of joy is with us and he promises to give us a fullness of joy with no more sorrow. Paul understood this describing himself and you, Christians, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. 
as having nothing yet possessing everything. So with this in mind, certainly Jesus was the most joyful person ever. Why did the man of sorrows go to the cross? For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising its shame. Jesus was joyful in the midst of sorrow. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and the the fruit of the Spirit includes joy. And don't you think, you know, I bring up Jesus and of course he's, he's perfect. He's joyful. Don't you sometimes think, yeah, but that, that's Jesus. He can do that. He can do that because he's God. And yes, Jesus is truly God. But let's remember that he functioned on this earth as one who is truly man. And the reason Jesus was joyful is because he knew his father. He knew him. He was filled with the same Holy Spirit that indwells you today. Jesus was devoted to the scriptures, devoted to prayer. He spent time communing with his father. This is how we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Knowing God through the teaching of his word. Spending time with him in prayer. Praising him for his many attributes and promises that, that reassure us with a, with a confident hope that there is purpose. There is purpose in every circumstance of life. There is purpose that, that God is intending for your good. That he withholds no good thing from you. Know these biblical truths. Express them to God in thankful praise. Know Him. Cast your, cast your cares upon Him. Knowing an amazing truth that he, he actually cares for us. So, how can we be joyful? Let me just sum up some of the things that I've mentioned. First, see God as the fullness of joy. That sense of nostalgia and longing that you experience, it tells you that the gifts aren't meant to satisfy you with a lasting and full joy. Only God is the fullness of joy, and there is no good apart from Him. Second, have right expectations of His gifts. Have right expectations. We, we should experience and delight in the many gifts of this life. The answer isn't to say, oh, I don't need that, and I can't enjoy that. No, enjoy the gifts of God. Enjoy them, but have right expectations of them. God is good. He wants us to have joy. He wants a true joy for us that's going to lead us to seeing him as the giver, the source of all joy. And sin, what sin does is it it gives us these wrong expectations of gifts. It turns them into idols that lead us to sorrow. Third, fight for joy in the midst of sorrow. It's our experience in a fallen world of sin. There will be, there will be sickness, there will be death, there will be abuse and injustices that cause us to grieve and tempt us to be depressed. And Psalm 42 gives us a truth to fight with by telling ourselves the truth about God, to hope in Him. To hope in Him, you need to know Him, meditate on His attributes, 
Meditate on his promises to you. Realize that it's, it's actually impossible for you not to receive joy from him. It's impossible for God not to give you what he's promised to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is to love you, to change you into the likeness of Jesus, to take all of your sufferings and make them seem light and momentary by comparison to the weightiness of glory that he will give you. That will certainly be fullness of joy. Fight for joy by reading God's word, by knowing truths that lead to joy. But here's an added point, a bonus point that that I didn't mention earlier. One that I'd like to close with by giving you some practical recommendations. These recommendations come from a woman who understands suffering. And this fourth point would be, be a part of Christ's church. God designed it. It's his gift. The church is his gift to you. So don't be foolish and reject it and think you can do this life on your own. Being a part of a church is meant to be encouraging and helpful and supportive. And we need, with that in mind, we need to know how best to do this. How do we encourage people and not discourage them, especially at Christmas? Being sensitive to what people are going How do we weep with those who weep? And rejoice with those who rejoice. How do we do this during this time of year that is really hard for some people? Vanitha Reisner wrote an article titled, What Suffering People Wish You Would Do at Christmas. I want to read this to you. Here's what what she wrote. It's hard knowing what to say when someone has experienced a great loss. Saying, I'm so sorry, feels trite. So it's easier just to say nothing. And that's what we tend to do. But for those who are suffering, silence hammers the hurt even deeper. Especially during the Christmas season, when the ache of loss is intensified. The weight of tragedies, the death of a loved one, divorce, disease... Divided families, depression, and disaster can, can all feel heavier at the holidays as the festivities acutely remind us of what we have lost. I have buried a child, endured four miscarriages, gone through an unwanted divorce, parented troubled teenagers, and continue to deal with a painful, deteriorating disability. So I understand how difficult this time of year can be. While each person and each loss is unique, from my experience, here are, here are five suggestions for caring for those who are suffering at Christmas. And I'll share this, this uh, article in an email to you. I'll send this out to you so you can, you can get this. Number one, acknowledge the loss. Having someone simply acknowledge your grief can be a gift in itself. Though our suffering friends may never mention it, the sadness of the situation will be a constant backdrop throughout the season. When we verbally recognize their loss, it shows we notice and that we care. 
Our words need not be deep or profound. Just recognizing the ever-present reality of their pain can be encouraging. And then she suggests a few things that you might even say. And one of them is something like this. I know this season is particularly hard. I wish you weren't dealing with this agonizing family situation and all of the fallout. Just acknowledging. Two, adjust your expectations. Our friends who are reeling from loss this holiday may not be able to do things they did in years past. Since it may be harder to buy gifts, they may not participate in the usual gift giving. Social events may be too emotionally or physically demanding to attend. Include your friends and offer to go with them to functions, but be understanding if they cancel at the last minute. Suffering people often don't know what they can do until right before the event. Also, extend grace when they are down or depressed. Tears may appear unexpectedly, and so can, so can irritability. You don't need to cheer them up, but understand that their emotions may be constantly on edge. The impact of your support and encouragement is appreciated more than you realize. Number three, actively offer assistance. Deliberately look for ways to help and then offer specific suggestions. It's hard to follow up on a, on a vague offer. So don't just say, if you need anything, call me. Because they won't. If you do offer specific, if you do offer specific support, be sure to follow through. They know it's a busy time of year, but if you have committed to help, they are likely depending on it. Some things you might uh, offer are offer to help with Christmas shopping, decorating, or even gift wrapping. And since food is a big part of the holidays, offer to cook or bake something, or even invite their family for dinner. After my first husband left, it was a priceless gift to be invited to friends' homes where we were able to form new memories. Offer to run errands like grocery shopping, going to the post office, or picking up the children from school. Keep their children for the afternoon. That can be a huge help. Give them time to be alone. Not forever, just for an afternoon. Gives them that time for rest or to get needed things done. Number four, ask how they are doing without putting them on the spot. Even though everyone at a gathering may know them well and share concern for them, it's difficult to be put on the spot with more than a few people present. So ask in private. I have felt awkward and even embarrassed to be asked how I'm really doing in front of a group. It's harder to be authentic when everyone is looking at me. Regularly call or come by to check in with them. The question, how are you doing today, can open the door to conversation since it acknowledges that grieving and suffering changes from day to day. It also lets them answer the question without feeling they need to summarize everything that's happened over the last month. But don't ask prying personal questions or speak in hushed tones, hushed and mournful tones. That often makes people feel uncomfortable and like 
They're a project more than a friend. Number five, allow them to grieve and don't try to fix them. Instead, point them to Christ. Remind them of his faithfulness. I'm still indebted to friends who let me weep and vent without analyzing or judging me. Trying to fix people only deepens their grief. Unsolicited advice feels like criticism. It hurts to be told that others are thriving under the same circumstances and then to get suggestions on what to do differently. Everyone's healing is unique. Negative comparisons make the wound even deeper. Instead, we can remind our friends that the real joy of Christmas is not in family or friends or gift-giving or parties, but in the incredible fact that God incarnate came to earth and dwelt among us. Jesus took on flesh for us so that we would have life eternal in him. Remind them that God's grace is sufficient and his word revives the soul. But don't bludgeon them with many sermons or pepper them with platitudes. God's ways are mysterious, and we don't understand why calamity comes. Remind them that our faithful Savior will never fail or forsake them, that Jesus walks with them, weeps with them. Remind them that he knows every detail of their struggle. Remind them that for all of us, the unshakable hope of Christmas lies solely in Emmanuel. For our God has come to us and will forever be with us. Good advice. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we need to be reminded of these truths, that your grace is sufficient, your word revives the soul, that you are faithful, that Jesus knows our hurts and cares for us, that Christmas is the proof of all of this. So Lord, we give, we give thanks for the joy of this season, for your good gifts to us. Help us to see each gift as something that, that points us to you as the fountain of all blessings. Lord, strengthen our hope in you. Give us great joy and assurance in Jesus. Give us love and compassion for those around us, all for the sake of a joy in you, a joy that honors and glorifies you as the one who gave and the one who continues to give the best gift of all, the gift of your son. And so we pray and give you praise in his great name. Amen.